We have been going through a series called Still Small Voice. It's about learning to hear and discern what God is speaking to us, what he's saying to us, because God is always leading. And so we have to learn how to recognize his voice, what he has to say, and how he's leading us in a variety of different ways. And as we've been going through this series, I have had a few visuals. And so I need my friends in the second row to help me throw some boxes to me because there are a few key things that are um, in play here. Good job, Jennifer. Good job. All right. What are we starting with? We're starting with... An empty cardboard box. We're starting with humility. Why? Because humility is so required for hearing God's voice and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. It's so important for us to humble ourselves because otherwise hearing from God, it's just obnoxious. So there's this sense of, I think this is what God is saying and holding that loosely because sometimes we miss it. And we have to keep at it. We have to have perseverance. Why? Because there's often times when it feels like God goes silent. And it's almost as if he hides from us so we'll go find him. It's like the divine hide-and-seek game. Uh, And he's not doing it to be cruel. He's doing it so that we will seek him. And when we seek him, he will be found by us when we seek him with all our heart. We know that from the scriptures. And so oftentimes it means you keep listening. You keep at it. Even when you don't feel like you're hearing God, you continue to go after it. All right, who's going to throw me boxes? Great, thanks, Bree. This was a word that God whispered to me in my office. I was saying, Lord, what are the key building blocks for posturing ourselves to hear your voice? And I felt like he said, don't forget to talk about purity, for it ushers in hearing my voice. And I was like, oh. Okay, I'm going to add that to the list. That wasn't even on the radar. Why? Because the pure in heart will see God. And one of the things we'll see again this morning is there's a real connection between hearing and seeing. Those two things go together. And thank you, Tammy. Great job. See, if you sit in the front, you get to interact. Stillness. Now, it is so much easier to hear God's voice when you have a quiet and still heart. This is why... We see in the scriptures, be still and know that I am God. And this sense of quieting our hearts. The truth is, even in the midst of battle, we can still hear God. But it's that learning how to quiet yourself in the midst of all the noise and say, Jesus, what is it that you have for me? I want to hear your voice. And so it's that learning to how to still yourself. And lastly, I've added a a a fifth one. I can't count today. I think sometimes it's just easier to release all your burdens to God first and say, Jesus, here's my baggage. Here's my stuff. Okay, now I feel like I'm free. Like my hands are free. Now I can, I can pick up what you want me to hear and what you want me to experience. And so this has been a really fun series. And um, I try to be flexible Because when there's someone here that does a really great job at something that we're talking about, I just want to bring them up on the stage. So I'm going to bring my friend John Knock up. And um, John uh, served as a pastor here at Neighborhood Church years ago. He's our friend more than that. His nephew was playing guitar and singing today, amazingly. 
Uh, he's brother to Phil Knock, Phil and JJ, who are sitting there, uh, and we love them. And John, you have actually taught me a ton about hearing God's voice. When I was younger, we were working on staff together. I would ask John questions, and say, John, what about this? And I know as a part of YWAM for so many years, this is a real core value of YWAM. So share with us what comes to your mind, because I know you've taught on this, this uh, topic a lot, but as, you, as it relates to you hearing God, John, how does, what does that look like for you? Well, I mean, I think just in the very um, basic way of coming before God, the recognition that the acknowledgement that we need him mm. and that he wants to speak to us and that he wants to be with us in the midst of our circumstances. I mean, the Bible has many scriptures that talk about him wanting to be with us uh, when we're going through trials and tribulations and difficult times. But to actually acknowledge that and go, you know what? There's so many confusing messages going on in the world today. There's so much stuff we're being bombarded with. But I actually know and acknowledge that God wants to speak to me. And I think that's the beginning of that journey. And then I think just also positioning ourselves to hear God. You talked about the stillness. Uh, there's two things I think about when it comes to positioning myself to hear God. Number one, developing a habit uh, throughout my week, throughout my day of just pausing to say, and asking him questions. So I'll be in the middle of a situation. Let's say my wife and I have had a uh, disagreement, uh, for example. Um, and I will say, God, can you uh, give me your perspective of this? And so what I'm doing there is I'm just acknowledging the fact that he knows a lot more than I do. He's been around a lot longer. He created relationship. He created marriage. And so I'm acknowledging my need of him to speak, but I'm positioning myself to hear him and developing that habit throughout my week. And then the second thing is, and this is, this is relating to stillness, is, is just taking time at times to get away. I mean, we are, it is so loud today. I don't know if some of you have been alive longer, have seen it increase in volume, the, the amount of messages we're getting, the amount of sound we hear, the amount of distractions that come our way. And so to simply take a, a few moments, I go sometimes to the, the, there's a prayer room near where I live, and I'll just bring my Bible, and I'll just talk to God about my future, or I'll talk to God about some situation that I'm going through or some frustration that I'm having, but I get away from all the distractions, and I be still and know that He is God. So those two things, one is developing the habit throughout my day of, of acknowledging that and asking Him stuff. The second thing is, is getting away and positioning myself to actually hear him in those moments. Great. Thanks, John. It's so fun to see you, my friend. Oh, my gosh. I love the fact that uh, Charlene, John, and Phil's mom goes to church here. And oftentimes, Charlene will fill John on in on what Pastor Andrew is saying. And so I see John. John's like, I know. I've been hearing all about your messages. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm thankful. But I'm really glad to see you and all those things. But good to see you guys. Um, so this morning, I was praying about, Lord, where do we go in this series as we're continuing to talk about these things? And um, the Lord took me to this, uh, well, this painting, first of all, um, this presentation of Jesus at the temple by Philippe de Champagne uh, from 1648. I love art, and I'm going to, I'll have a bunch of really beautiful classic art on the stage this morning because I love it and because I believe it just leads me to imagine uh, what we have in the scriptures. And fine art is one of the things that I believe expresses the glory of God. 
And looking at this, this um, we see Mary and Joseph. You see Joseph with two little turtle doves or, or uh, pigeons in his hand. That's going to be the purification offering. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You got Mary there. She's, she's, uh, Mary always just it takes over the scene, uh, in my opinion. Although Jesus is the star, Mary just has this, this beauty and presence about her that is just, she's so chosen. And though we don't worship Mary or pray to her, we can really appreciate who God used in her, right? And then you have this man, Simeon, who, excuse me, we believe is an old man, but we're not entirely sure how old he is. He's just ready to die. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's holding Jesus. And then Anna, who is, has a blue and she's got a little bit of a green head covering kind of going on, and she's going to sing a duet with Simeon in this passage. We are going to talk Christmas in May, people. Um, Luke 2, verses 21 through 38, if you want to turn there, I will also have the words on the screen. Um, I have never preached on this passage before, and as I was praying about today and thinking about hearing God's voice, examples of hearing God's, God's voice, and the postures that we should take, right? We talked about four different aspects that have been helpful here on this, with our little boxes, um, but I think we see a few other things that are emphasized here. So I want to just take a, a, just not a long time, but a short time to go through this passage because there is some beautiful stuff in here. Okay, Luke 2, 21. Now, this is obviously on the heels of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. The shepherds are told about this. They are the lowest of the low, and they are invited to come to the manger, and they worship him. This is just a really cool thing. The next verse, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he was conceived. All right, so nothing like talking about circumcision. That's a great time. Circumcision, a little bit of a change in the male anatomy at the eighth day, and uh, this is the mark or the sign of the covenant that God has with his people. And so it's a visible sign of what would be true in their hearts, that they would be set apart for, for God and for his purpose and to bless all nations, and salvation would come to all nations through this people. So circumcision was a part of that. So here's Mary and Joseph, right? They've had this baby in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's about five and a half to seven miles, depending upon where you are, from the temple in Jerusalem. Most people would say they didn't walk five miles to get him circumcised because Mary would have been still impure to go into the temple. So they would have gone to a local um, synagogue or a place, and that circumcision would have been done, done there, and that's when you name your baby officially, right? So this is why the naming is right here. Now, do you think Mary and Joseph is just calling him Baby Doe until then? No, they're calling him Jesus. Um, by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. That is his title, the, the Messiah, right? So uh, it's not Joseph and Mary Christ who have Jesus Christ. It's actually Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Anointed One, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's his title and his name. So, so this is the first of three things that we're going to see, okay? So the first thing is Jesus is circumcised. Why is this important? Because we see later in this passage that Joseph and Mary were righteous and they did the right thing and so that all things would be taken care of. And so Jesus, who's born under the law, doesn't come to abolish the law, but comes to fulfill the law. So this little verse that I think is beautiful and it has a lot of obedience in it, right? 
this angel shows up and says, this is what you're going to name. You're going to name your earthly son, Joseph. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be a savior for his people. Joseph doesn't go, I don't really like Jesus. I, I like Caleb better. So what's the posture? The posture is obedience. This is what you said, so this is what I'm going to do. Oftentimes we try to hear God's voice before we've obeyed the last thing that he told us to do. And my friends who have been hearing God's voice much longer than me would tell you that if you're expecting God to give you a word, it may be that you haven't obeyed the last thing that he said. You need to go back to the last thing you were sure he said and say, have I actually followed through on this? And they did. Good job, Mary and Joseph. Gold star. Next verse, Luke 2, 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, this is the second part of three, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Okay, so they take this little walk. Maybe it takes, I don't know, Siri just told me it like took an hour and a half to walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. She's probably right. A couple hours, right? It's downhill, actually. So that's helpful. Um, so when they get to Jerusalem, this is probably the path they took. Coming from the east, they go in the fountain gate or the dung gate. But I would skip the dung gate because I think it probably smelled bad. And up to the temple area. When they get to the temple, what does it look like? Well, they're going to go into the court of women. Why? Because the women weren't actually allowed to go past this gate in the temple complex. That, I put a little red arrow for your... Um, watching enjoyment, uh, the Nicanor Gate, and maybe here's what it might have looked like. You can see those steps, those tiered steps. And this gate right here, and here's a couple of other little, little pictures, uh, is glorious. Past this, then, you only have Jewish men who are worshiping and priests. And then, of course, the temple is the Holy of Holies, and, and that is where only priests are going to be serving in that, um, that larger, taller structure. And so they get to the temple, and um, here's the verse again. Oh, it, the time has come for the purification rites. That means 40 days after Jesus is born. This means now Mary's got to go and give a sacrifice and be ceremonially cleansed. No time to talk about what that means. Just take it for what it is. They're being obedient. What is their posture? Obedience. And so she shows up with um, to present him, to be purified and present him to the Lord. So there's actually two things going on here. So let's first talk about um, presenting him to the Lord. Okay, so there's a technical term here. It's not really that technical, but it, it is for the priest placing the offering on the altar. The idea of surrendering or yielding up. So he, they come to basically dedicate Jesus to the service of the Lord, right? Placing him on the altar, uh, if you will. Really, it's just in the, the arms of the priest. But this really makes me think about a verse in the New Testament that says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because God is so merciful in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The sense of going all in, this posture of yielding, it's the posture of surrender that we see as they bring their child to be dedicated, if you will. And we saw that up here. Saying, hey, I can't do this on my own. I know I need help. I know I want others to, to speak in and help. And I believe that God put me in community. Therefore, I'm, I'm stepping into this that God has created. 
And in Romans 12 here, there's this sense of I'm willing to die to myself to be alive to God. I'm willing to put God first and yield and surrender to him instead of live for my own purposes and in my own and make myself God. And this idea, this is this, this same word of placing yourself on the altar, a living sacrifice. Problem with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. I don't know about you, but that's oftentimes the struggle in our lives, to stay in that yielded posture to God. Now, this same word also comes up in Acts 1-3. I found this fascinating. After his suffering, this is Jesus has risen from the dead, but he's not yet ascended to heaven. After his suffering, he presented himself, this is that same word, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus, as a perfect sacrifice, presents himself and says, hey, I'm the real thing. See, I'm, I have placed myself on the altar and I'm still very much given up for you. So my simple question to you this morning is, have you presented yourself to the Lord? There is a real need in your life, whether you know it or not, well, now you do, for Jesus. Because we can't do this life on our own, and we certainly can't get to heaven without him. But there is a life to the fullest that he wants to give you. There's healing he wants to bring you. There's peace he wants to give that only he can give. The world can't give this kind of peace. He wants to fulfill the longings of your heart. All those, those, that hole in your heart where you try to keep putting stuff and experiences and, and money and different things in there and ne it never satisfies. God's the only one who does that. So my question to you is, are you involved or are you committed? Here's the illustration. Ham and eggs. The chicken is so involved in providing eggs, but, well, the pig, he's committed, right? <laughs> he has been offered as a sacrifice for your breakfast or... Mother's Day brunch in this case. But my question to you is, are you just simply involved in church kind of stuff? And it's okay that you're checking out Jesus and we want to help you in your journey. But there is a point at which you have to say, yes, Jesus, I am willing to come and lay my life down for you. I'm willing to give you my life, believing that you have life for me. So I want to challenge you this morning, if you've not given your life to Jesus, today would be a great day to celebrate new life. And if you surrender and you say, all right, Jesus, I'm willing to lay everything down and follow you. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to come as I am. I know you're going to do the work, and he will. And you pray a simple prayer of surrender. And our prayer teams will be down here in a little while, and I encourage you that if you want to pray this prayer, we would love, love, love to pray it with you. Because it will shift your entire life forever. And the Holy Spirit will come in and begin to dwell in you and speak to you. And all of these things about hearing God's voice will make a whole lot more sense once you're following Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. So there is this sense of yielding and presentation that's going on, right? And um, it's really purification for Mary and presentation of Jesus to God. So verse 23 says, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated or sanctified or set apart to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
What's interesting about this sacrifice, there's two things in this verse, the presentation and the purification. On the purification side, so they're offering the two birds. This is called the offering of the poor. This was in a, um, it was a substitute for giving a lamb. What does that tell us about the Holy Family? They don't have much money. Now I'm going to mess up your nativity set. I'm so sorry ahead of time. This is 40 days after Jesus is born. It probably also means that the Magi, the wise men, haven't arrived yet. Which probably means that when they arrived, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are living in a house. I mean, they could have been living in the, in the barn for a while. I mean, you can, we'll leave that as an open option for you so your nativity set will not be messed up. And maybe the shepherds came back for a second visit because it was so great the first time. And the drummer boy was there too, although he's not in the Bible. So there's the purification side. Why? Because if they had gotten these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they would have had the money to be able to give uh, to, to get a lamb. It's also going to factor into something else here in a minute as far as presentation. Because this presentation idea comes from Exodus 34. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but... Exodus 34, in the Old Testament, this is uh, God explaining to his people, here's how this is going to go. The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether herd or flock. So redeem all your firstborn sons. Redeem means buy back, right? And he goes into some length on buying back here in, no, in Numbers 18 because, well, the firstborn, we're going to serve the Lord and do this priestly kind of thing. And then they had this golden calf incident. You remember that? Where they like made a golden calf and they all worshipped it and a whole bunch of people died and it was just not good. And so God goes, new plan, better plan. How about I just set aside the tribe of Levi and they'll be the priests. And if you know somebody, last name Cohen, that's from the triad, that means priest. And then all of, all y'all, all the rest of you, you're going to need to then offer up your firstborn as if you did before to be priests, but actually no, you need to buy them back. So the first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that's offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. And when they're a month old, and this is how old Jesus is, 31 to 40 days old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set of five shekels of silver. All right? So what's going on here? There is this exchange that happens, and it still happens today in modern Judaism. I watched some, some of my rabbi videos. I've been, I watched rabbis to understand Judaism, and they were explaining how this works, and I'll explain it just briefly because it's this beautiful thing of dedicating or offering up your son, knowing that you're going to buy him back. You're going to redeem your firstborn son. So you go to the priest. Help me, Jared. I have pushed something wrong. Um, with yellow words and yes, thank you. So the priest says, uh, well, which, or the rabbi, I suppose, which would you rather do? Give up your firstborn son or redeem him for five shekels? Now, this is, this is a little bit, um, what's the word? It's just a formality to ask this question. It's not an actual question. It's a rhetorical question is the word, right? And then the father will say, because the expectation from God is you will buy back your son. 
because that rabbi, what's he going to do with all these kids? Like, it's not going to work. So this is my firstborn son, the father says. Take for yourself five shekels due for his redemption. This is still happening in Judaism today, and they're very particular about the kind of silver and its purity and all that kind of stuff. Things that I didn't need to know, probably. And then the priest puts his hand on the baby's head and says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Length of days, years in peace be gathered to you. God keep you from all evil and save your soul. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his mitzvah, his command, his and instructed us regarding the redemption of a son. So beautiful. And so it's Jesus, the first and only son of God, who comes to redeem his people. And yet his earthly father, Joseph, says, no, no, I'm going to buy him back. Now, this part is not in Luke. Why? I think because Luke knows that Jesus will be the redeemer for all persons for all time. But this is what's really happening. Why? Because Joseph and Mary had a posture of obedience and they did everything right. And it's beautiful. And in the midst of this, what happens? Behold, which is not in your NIV translation, which ticks me off. That's why I've put it in on the screen. Behold, look, this is amazing. This is part of the posture we're going to see in a minute. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting, better word, better translation, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Here's Simeon. What does his name mean? Hearing. What is his posture? Listening. Listening to God. And the Holy Spirit has revealed some things to him. How? We're not sure, but he's somehow hearing the voice of God. He's getting these messages. And it's interesting that he was righteous and devout. He was right. He had right relationship with God and man. Righteous and devout. This is the picture, these two words of a lifetime of dedication, devotion, and walking with with God. These two words, he was righteous and devout. We don't know how old he was, but I imagine, I think he was a little older. He's had this incredible legacy. He's finishing well. I love that. And so he's one who hears, Simeon, that's what his name means, but he was also looking for the consolation of Israel. This idea of having a posture of watching. Colossians 4, 2, one of the verses I quote the most and from the New Testament, is devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Why is that important to me? Because it means you're always looking to see where God's working so you can join him in the work. It means you're always looking to see, okay, God, I, I prayed for that. What are you going to do? I'm going to watch for the answer because I want to be thankful. And oftentimes, I'll be thankful before I even see the full answer to my prayer. Why? Because there is a posture of waiting that we see here. He's been, who knows how long he's been waiting but he's been waiting and watching and praying and he's had this beautiful posture of saying, God, I know you have something great and I'm willing to wait for it. And so this has been revealed to him. This word um, is the same word that's used for the dream of the Magi that we talked about 
think it was last week, where God warns the Magi in a dream, don't go back. Don't go back and tell Herod where Jesus is. You go back another way. This is the same word. There's this Holy Spirit revelation that's happened for Simeon. So what's going on with Simeon? He's moved by the Spirit. I can imagine he's like cooking eggs, probably not bacon because it wasn't kosher. And um, all of a sudden the Lord goes, stop, put that down. It's time to go to the temple right now. He's like, uh, God, can I wait till later? Nope. But uh, nope. There is a now factor in Simeon. There's an obedience in him and there's a, there's a, okay, I'm willing to go. And so moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. Sometimes God's going to reveal something to you or, or say, go here, turn left, go stop at that store, go do that thing. And we don't think it's God. We think, oh, I must be going crazy. But God's teaching us how to hear his voice. And sometimes he just wants to put something, especially when you're driving or in the shower, right? That's when Jesus is like, oh, by the way, um, I heard, ooh. So he's moved by the Spirit. He goes into the temple courts. And then, of course, the parents, right when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Here's this posture of obedience. And Simeon took him. He received him, decomai, into his arms. And then he blessed God. And I believe he sings the next part. He doesn't just say it. And there's other people that would believe that too. But in any way, he gives words out of his mouth. So he takes Jesus, this little Greek word. I love the Greek words. Um, it, it is to accept something that's offered. It, it is like the welcoming of guests and hospitality. Like, oh, like we got all of, like we got a robe hanging up for you. And like, do you, what bakes... Eggs and bacon, great, I got that. You know, is there anything else you need? I got towels in here. There's a sense of welcoming, accepting, receiving. Where else do we see this in the New Testament? Glad you asked. Mark 9, whoever welcomes or receives one of these little children in my name welcomes or receives me. Whoever welcomes me does not, and whoever, well, that's very strange. That doesn't seem right. Who welcomes me does Whoever does not, I wonder what happened on the cut and paste there. Whoever does not welcome me, does not welcome the one who sent me, is how the verse goes. Sorry, I don't get everything right. Mark 10, truly I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. So this posture of receiving, willing to receive by Simeon, he's like, oh, come on, this is so great. Oh, you ever get to hold a baby and you're just like, oh, I don't want this to end. This is so great. And you immediately start swaying. Kind of like some of you, you know, who are older and you've, your kids have grown and you go to the grocery store and you're like holding your ground beef and, the, and then all of a sudden you just realize you're swaying in the, am I the only one who's ever done that before? Is anybody? Okay. You guys think I'm weird. That's okay. I'm totally weird. Um, so there's this, there's this receiving. I just love that. And here's the now factor. Simeon is living in the now. Has he had a lot of years to pray into this? Yeah. Has he been waiting a long time? I think so. And the NIV translators in their, in their wisdom did not put now in there, but it is there. And so I'm going to put it back in. Now. Now. In this moment. I love the fact, I think Simeon just lives in the moment. 
and he's present with those who he's with. That's, by the way, that's what love looks like. Right, Hannah? Right. It means being 100% with you, not distracted by devices, newspapers, or TVs, but like I'm with you right now because I love you. This is how I show love to you. Now, sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may release your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's so thankful. He realizes this is a prayer that he's been praying for years, and his posture has been perseverance. I'm just not going to stop because I believe God said I'm going to see this. Some of you who have been in the faith longer than I have been longing for Jesus to come back to earth. And I am longing along with you. But you have waited longer than I have. And you're expecting to see God do something fantastic in these days. The goodness of the land of the living. And I love the fact that you have persevered in prayer, watching and waiting for Jesus to come back. But there's this release, by the way. This little Greek word for dismissing is really to release. It's as if you were releasing the captives. And in so many ways, when as believers, as Jesus followers, we're called home, we are released. We're released from pain, suffering, all of the parts of this earth that, does not, that doesn't reflect heaven. So he's released Paul, when he's talking about anticipating dying, uses a different Greek word, which means to untie a boat and to let it go to sea. Aren't those beautiful pictures? We think about death in such negative terms because our culture can't handle death, but dying well is a big part of discipleship and finishing well. That for a different day. All right, I got to get going here. The child's father and mother marveled. And this is a continual tense. They kept marveling. This is the posture I want. I never want to be like, oh, of course God spoke to me. Of course I knew that. <laughs> I never want that. I always want to be, oh my gosh, God said this to me and I heard him. And this is, that doesn't mean I don't have faith or doesn't mean I don't hear God. It just means that you should be marveling all the time. That the God of the universe wants to speak to you and show you things and partner with you. And he loves you? Come on. If you don't marvel at that, I think you're in trouble. It probably means you're involved and not committed. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? So they're marveling. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, he drops a rhema word on her. This child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel. By the way, rising, same word for rising again as well. I just think that's really fascinating because I think about Jesus bringing so many people back to life. It will be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, there's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to like him and speak out against him. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And this is a warning word. We talked about warning words a little bit before. And it goes, you know what? You're going to need to know that it's going to be hard. Even though this is one who's going to bring salvation, there's going to be pain involved. When you got run through with a sword, it was painful. I know, it's newsflash. Captain Obvious, right? 
By the way, this is not a sword that hangs in my office. If you've been in my office, I love swords and love medieval things. This is more like a, a Thracian javelin. It's more like a spear. Does this sound, sound familiar? And when you think about the crucifixion and the spear that pierces Jesus' side. So while it's a prophetic word showing what will, ha- what will be and hearkening back to Psalm 22, if you want to see a messianic psalm that foretells what's going to happen, she's going to be right there at the cross. We know that from what John tells us. And her very soul is pierced. So these beautiful postures and Mary and Joseph received these words. And we know from a different passage that Mary stored all these things up in her heart. She was a good steward of the words and the things that were said and that happened with Jesus. And, by the way, that's also not in your NIV translation. Come on now. That's such a little, little word. Does it really matter? Yes, it does. Why does and, why is and important? Because it shows that same time, same place for these two individuals, Simeon and Anna. Which means that we don't have a solo, we have a duet. So good. So here, and there was also a prophet, Anna. And she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And, there was a, and then was a widow until she was 84. We know she's, I think the, the verse says advanced and aged. And she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, That's a great posture to have, by the way. Coming to them at that very moment, she kept on giving thanks to God. That's the the, the verb. She just couldn't stop. It's like somebody with a microphone. You're like, okay, 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 okay. Get the hook out. She's like, she's just pouring out prayers of thanksgiving. Do you know anybody like this? Thankful people, by the way, are the most joyful people. She, gives, she kept giving thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we have a couple more postures. This posture of giving thanks constantly. Lord, thank you. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I want to thank you in advance. And then the posture of looking. I'm looking forward. I'm going to, I'm going to keep looking to see what God's going to do. So in the midst of this, these two that are most likely very advanced in age show incredible faithfulness. They give us many things to emulate. Whether it's the obedience of Mary and Joseph, the posture of waiting and perseverance for these two older saints, the willingness to be now-oriented and obey now and ask questions later. The sense of gratitude and these people that have their ears on, if you will, to heaven. To say, God, what is it that you're doing and saying? These are the kind of people that I want to be like. This is the way that I want to finish well. And I believe that this gives us some more tangible tools as far as learning how to hear his still small voice. And so, uh, would you stand? I want to pray for you and bless you and send you to brunch or whatever you're doing for your mom. Uh, prayer folks, if you'd come down forward. Uh, before you leave, if you, if you felt like I was talking to you earlier about being committed and not in, just involved, I know our prayer team will do backflips if they get a chance to pray a short prayer with you. And they'll tell you 
kind of model it for you. It's, there's no secret magic words. But it's just the posture of your heart saying, I'm willing to yield. That yielding posture that Jesus is looking for. And he says, yeah, I'm going to come in. If you say, if, if you invite me, I'm coming in. And I will bring my life with me. So they're here. But if you've got something else going on, I sense that like there are some people here who financially you are up against it and you feel like there is no way around what you're facing. Come and receive prayer because God wants to do a financial miracle in your life. There's a few people here who have had persistent pain in your body and you just haven't humbled yourself to say, hey, this is bothering me because you don't think that, that God wants to bother in doing this for you because it's not like cancer or something like that. And I would say, hey, I'm talking to you. Come down and receive prayer because God cares about even the smallest of ailments and things. It's not his will for you to suffer. Um, it's his will for you to be living life to the fullest and living in his peace. And so we would love to pray with you and for you or for whatever is going on. So Jesus, thank you for these, this man and woman who showed us what it looks like to live a faithful life, to seek you, to watch for you, to listen for you, to be led by your spirit, to step into obedience. And so help us to emulate these two as we truly just try to live like you, Jesus. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for our moms. Pray that you'd bless each one today. In Jesus' name, amen. So thanks for coming. If you're here in the house or on the stream, we'll see you next week.